this is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is July the 17th. 2020 strong hand long-term thinking bitcoin is the next bitcoin one bitcoin equals one bitcoin i'm offended by selling conviction and today we had some conviction before this show started we had issues and we kept per kept on plowing ahead there that's what you got to do guys 2024 having think long term all right we got some guys that have been here for the long term that will be here for the long term all right we got john in uh, Cal up in uh, Canada, we got Brandon in uh, Tennessee, and of course Federico Tenga is in Italy. All right, very good. So let us start out with uh, a quote from Brandon on Twitter because, dude, you've been uh, you've been rocking it in uh, in Twitter here. You said to to the Twitter hack was really a political statement, people. I vehemently disagree. They started with Binance and then uh, CZ and worked their way through a bunch of crypto company accounts first. They did it for Bitcoins. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone mainstream first. They would have gone mainstream first. So uh, please tell us your insights on this. Uh, the big And this was the big news of the Bitcoin week. Um, I'll also, talk about the remote aspect of it. Uh, that that was very good observation. Yeah, yeah. So you know, the more that we've been digging into this, the more we kind of understand. And uh, originally, it turns out it was Angelo BTC. I think that was the first account that he actually uh, uh, you know hacked into. And so Angelo BTC. I mean, you want to talk about a niche kind of uh, guy to be following and want to have access to your account? Uh, you know, he's, he's a, a whale, whale trader guy. guy uh, He's not like if you're trying to do some big, you know, brilliant uh, maneuver in Twitter, you're not going to start with Angelo BTC because like as soon as you uh, kind of make yourself known that there's something fishy going on, you know, you're on the clock. Uh, you got to, you know, execute, 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 get all of the, the kind of aspects of what you're trying to do done and then and then, you know, uh, get out before, you know, you get caught. That didn't happen. Uh, really, you know, you saw him start or you saw you know, these people start with uh, uh binance and angelo and cz and you know uh we i i help run bitcoin magazine twitter and so we're watching all this happen uh while you know sitting on a, a 600 plus thousand uh person twitter account that's blue check verified as well and we're like holy cow what are we doing uh and so you know like as this information is growing uh people are saying you know uh i think barry silbert came out and said you know we're two fa'd with everything uh, we were totally secure. We don't know how this is happening. So immediately, like we're in here, I'm locking everyone out of their sessions. I'm uh, removing all the API keys, you know, that, that are uh, sharing read/write access on our Twitter. All this kind of stuff. I mean, we're scrambling, and you know, the hack just keeps evolving and evolving. And finally, they go through all these uh, crypto accounts, and uh, the next step is they they hit Elon Musk. And so you're, at that point, you're like, okay, you know, if this was a planned thing. That you want to, uh, you know, really maximize the amount of destruction or Bitcoin you're getting or something, you know, uh, you would start with Elon. Like you would start with these. If you can get into Elon's account, that's the first guy you hit. Uh, so clearly, you know, this wasn't. This doesn't scream premeditated to me. This doesn't scream like there was some sort of plan that they were working through. This says I got keys 
and I didn't know what the heck I was going to do with them. Uh, and so I, I just started doing whatever I could, uh, you know, the first thing that came to mind. Uh, and so that's kind of the way that I kind of operated uh, uh, looking at this. Um, and, and, you know, there hasn't been a lot of evidence to suggest that this was anything more than some guy shilling a, uh, a Bitcoin address. I mean, they had the website, but this website was super low tech. It was it was basically a, a landing page. Uh, and then they had a Bitcoin address and they tried to get people to send you. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the quick thoughts there. No, but and so it might have been sort of spur of the moment. Like he noticed, well, talk about how everyone's remote now uh, at Twitter and how that was a, a, a tax factor. Yeah, so, you know, my gut, and again, this is speculation on my end, but my gut says that this attack was not going to be possible back in March, right? Like, I'm sure to have this God mode access to Twitter, you were going to have to be, you know, firewalled, probably locally in the building of, you know, Twitter's headquarters. Like, they've got to have some geo, you know, security around their, their backdoor access to everything, right? And so I would bet, you know, uh, in March, I remember uh, uh, Jack Dorsey coming out and saying, you know, like, we're letting everyone go remote. You know, we're closing down the office. We're a remote first company. And so when you do that, you've got to be, uh, you know, cutting some some ropes and, and letting people have kind of uh, access from home. I mean, it just has to happen, right, in order to let people work from home. And so I would bet. Like I'm, I'm picturing, you know, in my head, speculating that there was some conversation of, you know, well, if we let everyone work from home, you know, that could open up a security uh, uh, vulnerability of some guy, you know, being able to hack in. And someone else was like, yeah, what are the odds of that happens? Right. You know, uh, but if this was possible before, it would have happened before. Right. It would have happened way before this, because the amount of damage, the amount of money you can make off of hacking into Twitter like this is so great that you wouldn't like it wouldn't have taken what? 13 years of Twitter being like a mainstream thing for someone to figure out how to do this hack. You know, it would have been way quicker. So uh, I think that it just makes sense that the, corona, uh, the, the, the virus that was spreading kind of led to the uh, ability to kind of uh, execute this, this uh, attack. Yes, dudes. I love, I love the take. I hadn't heard anyone mention the remote aspect that they're all remote now. And yeah, I remember, I remember when Jack Dorsey was bra bragging, oh, we're going to be remote for now. Well, it, it opened up a weakness, perhaps, perhaps. So best guest in the freaking space here on the show. I bring you guys with creative ideas like that. We shall see. Pound that like button. They're all linked to below. Okay. So John, uh, you, you've seen what's happened. Is this good for Bitcoin? Was this situation a, a good advertisement for Bitcoin? What are your thoughts? Oh, un un you're saying is it good for Bitcoin? Um, yeah, you're good. You're good. Yeah, yeah, you're good. You're fine. Sorry, there was a delay. There was a delay of some sort. You're cool. Okay. You're cool. Um, you know, I I think it's good. You know, like I, I I'm of course we're all curious what what how was it premeditated? How much time did they have? Like, of course, everyone thinks they could have done a million other things that would have been worse for Bitcoin, better for Bitcoin, more leverage, more political, whatever, got more money. Because I think if, if he was really just trying to scoop up some Bitcoin, I mean, even if he just catered it to the person he was hacking, like, hey, I'm giving away some like uh, boring company blowtorches, send me a hundred bucks in Bitcoin, like that would have netted him more than just the obvious copy and paste scam that he sent to everybody. Um, 
And short term, like, will it bring some regulatory eyes to Bitcoin? Possibly, you know, as people investigate this thing. But for me, like everything is bullish for Bitcoin. And that's just my, you know, that's just my default position. I, I don't, you know, it's, it's always waxing and waning, right? Like Bitcoin is um, implicated in this scam or this drug thing. And then, you know, people poo poo it for a while in the media and it doesn't, it doesn't care about any of that stuff. So I, uh, I pretty much see everything through the lens of being bullish for Bitcoin. In the short term, might it get some negative press? Possibly, but does it matter? Probably not. Okay. Uh, Federico, oh, what do you think of, of this situation uh, coming from your Italian perspective? Uh, is, is it good for Bitcoin? Yeah, of course. I think like, uh, for sure, like it forced people to uh, pay attention to Bitcoin. People that like from the mainstream public that maybe never really care much about Bitcoin. So they put them right in front of their face. And then also, I think I would have been disappointed if the hacker had used anything uh, that wasn't Bitcoin. So like the fact that the, he had this massive superpower and the first thing uh, he could came with was trying to, to steal some Bitcoin. First, they show how much Bitcoin is valuable. And two, show like uh, how good uh, of a tool for payment he actually is. And what I found really funny, I was looking about some of the addresses that he posted for on some of those uh, mystery accounts. And uh, there was a guy sending transaction to these addresses and was encoding a message in many different like uh, uh, change addresses. And the messages it encoded was something like, oh, I can see all your, I can track all your transactions on Bitcoin. Why didn't you use uh, Monero? Monero is much better for this. So there was this like Monero shill uh, crying about the fact that he was using Bitcoin instead of Monero. So it really showed that even for a use case where privacy is clearly really important, the hacker prefer to use uh, Bitcoin compared to some privacy coin because, uh, yeah, maybe Bitcoin has, may have uh, less, uh, privacy on the protocol and even that is debatable but they for sure is much more liquid so if it gets a lot of money in bitcoin uh, you can sort of either hold them for the long term or trying to find ways to to cash them out while with uh, like a small market capitalization uh, altcoin is much more difficult so it really showed the the, the value of bitcoin out is uh, superior to alternative when when people actually have a use case that they care about it Yes, uh, they did not ask for Monero. It would have looked very strange if there was all of a sudden a mask asking a mass asking for Monero. I will say this about the Monero people that 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 hid that message in, in the outputs. It was creative. I mean, they they got hit. They did get attention for Monero. Okay, the, the Monero shill or whatever you want to call whatever you want to call them. Uh, because I, I did I talked about it on my show yesterday and quite a few people I know you you tweeted about it to uh, Federico so it, it was the Monero people did uh they, they got their little piece of the publicity uh, by doing that but I mean the, the major point is is like for all the people out there that think you know my altcoin is the next Bitcoin uh, no it's like everybody defaults to use Bitcoin in whatever they do be it something nefarious like this or or, or something good I, I do want to return to uh, Brandon uh, do, do you think I didn't, I didn't ask you this question was this good for Bitcoin what uh, what's your take so uh, you know, I have a slightly different take I think that it, I'm not gonna say it was bad for Bitcoin I think ultimately it doesn't matter for Bitcoin uh, one way or the other uh, I will say, I don't think it's good for Bitcoin. I mean, I mean uh, uh, all you have to look, look at is Joe Biden's kind of response today where, where he's like, you know, I would never ask you for Bitcoin kind of thing. You know, uh, well, 
if you were really trying to uh, uh, dig deep into Bitcoin and understand what it's doing and, and try and, uh, you know, support the development of it in the U.S., you would be like, yeah, actually, I would ask you for Bitcoin, but I do it, you know, through my address of my campaign account and that kind of thing. But that kind of knee-jerk reaction is what I don't like to see because, uh, you know, uh, we went live on uh, Bitcoin 2021 Twitter, actually, because uh, we couldn't get Bitcoin Magazine. But we kind of talked about these uh, knee-jerk reactions. And one thing that I, I think about a lot is the fact that we don't have yet the, uh, you know, uh, the penetration into mainstream conversation for the actual Bitcoiner uh, perspective. And so mainstream gets to take this story and run with it however they choose. And there's no need, there's no uh, uh, journalistic integrity that will require them to get some sort of perspective from the Bitcoin space. And so because of that, uh, the the conversation and the uh, narrative gets to be, you know, hackers use Bitcoin in order to scam people out of their money. And, and you know, however they want to uh, portray it is however it's going to be portrayed. And I'll, I'll agree that ultimately, you know, most people who get into the Bitcoin space first hear about Bitcoin because of a scam. You know, maybe it was the malware, maybe it was the ransomware attacks, you know, back a couple of years ago, whatever it was. But ultimately, that is still something that Bitcoin has to battle against. And so I wouldn't say that that's uh, a good thing for Bitcoin. But also, ultimately, I don't think it really matters. Bitcoin will succeed regardless of, of however people first encounter it. So that's kind of my take. All right, that's a, that's a that's an interesting take on it. I, again, I people did hear about it. That that's I, I lean toward uh, John there. You know, and any news is good news. But you're we got to bring up this Biden quote. I'm glad you brought it up. I'm going to read it to everyone. Uh, I don't have Bitcoin, and I'll never ask you to send me any. But if you want to chip in to help make Donald Trump a one-term president, you can do that here. So he he's definitely the vibe he's he's giving off there is I don't have big, you know, I, I don't want to be involved with something that, that was sketchy, that somebody hijacked my uh well, whoever wrote this for him, you know, whoever someone hijacked all our accounts and mentioned Bitcoin. So it's, you know, I'll never ask you to send me any, and I don't have any. And people did respond to that. Bitcoiners in that thread responded like. How can you be running for the you know to be the most powerful person on earth and not have any Bitcoin? Which is uh, to me, I think it's shameful that you're bragging that you don't have Bitcoin. But again, he's a seventy-something-year-old dude too, and he didn't really write it. And uh, who knows? So, uh, uh, John, I think you had something else uh, to say. I, I heard something in the background. Yeah. There, but any well, I, I just want to touch on on the final point. Um, like, I think to, I, I accept the point that people will run this story and it'll have a negative slant and they won't consult Bitcoiners and all that kind of stuff. But if you look back at maybe each of our own journeys or any time you have one belief and then you kind of do a 180 and turn around to seeing things differently, you know, I think that you almost kind of spring load the interest. So what I'm, what I'm saying is like, if people are led more and more to believe that Bitcoin is a scam, it's for drugs, it's for criminals, the contrast between that impression and the impression that they get when they actually kind of learn the truth of it, I think spring loads a lot of that energy that they'll bring to it when they come in. So like, I get that it's, it may have a like negative slant in the media, but once you realize that you've been lied to or that you misunderstood something or that something that you previously thought was correct or truthful is not, I find at least in my own intellectual journey, it kind of, it puts fuel on the fire when I actually realized that, you know, I, I, I had the wrong uh, impression or I was lied to. I, I go further into the truth faster because of the kind of dramatic contrast. And so 
you know, look again, looking at through the lens of everything is bullish for Bitcoin, all that negative press is just kind of, you know, generating all this kinetic energy for the people that once they get it will will really not only be interested in Bitcoin, but will suspect the media and the government and all these people who, who put out these false narratives. Well, I guess you are you are a thinking man and you dig deep into this stuff. I know it, some people will just have some initial emotional reaction. And, For sure. And, yeah, For sure. yeah. And then that's the majority. And uh, we're, we're going to talk about some of these <laughs> impulsive emotional reactions when it comes to economics in a second. Just b before we move on, do any of you guys have anything more to say? Because we're going to leave the Twitter hack goodbye. We're going to say goodbye to it here. Any Anyone else have any thoughts on it? Well, yeah, if you can just like uh... – Say something else. Is the thing is that uh, um, maybe there are many people that heard about Bitcoin in 2017 when there was the massive hype, and then they it kind of went under the radar. So they were like, "Oh yeah, Bitcoin there was massive hype, and then it disappeared. They, nothing happened out of it." So they may think that Bitcoin. I'm not saying it's that, but almost. Now they hear again about Bitcoin, so it comes back into the radar. So they say, "Okay, so Bitcoin is still around." And more and more people will know that it is it is an option out there. Maybe it's not for them because oh yeah, it's full of uh, shady people. Bitcoin is used for scam, but it's still an option on the table that they are aware of, aware of. And uh, the important thing for Bitcoin, I think, is that people that need Bitcoin know that Bitcoin exists. Not we don't need everybody to use Bitcoin, but we just need those that actually need Bitcoin to be aware of the option. And anything like that, even like very bad publicity, like being associated to, to, to scams or even worse, is still a way to, to keep it on the radar, to keep awareness up. Well, yeah, I, I agree. Keeping on the radar is good. But there are people, when it gets on the radar and they are enemies, they've made themselves enemies of Bitcoin for some reason. I don't know what's wrong with some of these people. We're going to read a quote. When it gets on the radar for whatever reason, and if you can somehow spin it negatively, they take it to a whole new level. And Peter Schiff, uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to put the dude on a pedestal. Like he's such an important uh, player in, in uh, economics or in, in finance, but the, something has gone totally whack in his mind. He, he's a very stubborn, dude. Okay, we can agree on that. But this, this latest one, uh, it looks like all verified Twitter accounts have been hacked by someone running a Bitcoin scam. For once, not being verified has its advantages. And that's that's good. I wonder if this is a harbinger of Bitcoin itself being hacked. <laughs> Better to play it safe and just buy gold. I mean, this is, it's like the lowest common denominator. Um, 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 he's a smart man. He knows he's appealing to people who don't think. There's, there's a story that involves hack and Bitcoin. So he says, well, maybe Bitcoin's going to be hacked because Twitter was hacked. <laughs> any thoughts on that, uh, uh, Brad? Any, any thoughts on that? Anyone? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, uh, I've got a, a quick thought on that. Fraud has been rampant in the history of human beings. And, you know, you can look back to uh, snake oil salesmen back in, you know, the 1800s and, you know, people aren't still buying snake oil. Well, they are, but, you know, it's a different flavor of snake oil. So there's always going to be these scams. Wire fraud was a huge thing. Nigerian princes wanted your money. You know, like, uh, this is not anything new. And there's been plenty of scams graduated with gold, too. So, uh, you know, I think that, you know, ultimately Peter is, is just, he has a product he's selling, which is gold. 
and he's got a manufactured competitive advantages of gold over Bitcoin. And so this is just him going through his marketing stunts and, you know, uh, Bitcoin's not going to get hacked. So, uh, you know, I'll be happy to have a clown nose on my face if it ever does, but uh, it's just not going to happen. So I think the take is that's cold, but it's just Peter being here. Just Peter being, well, he took full advantage of this one. That one, uh, I thought he took it to another level on that. Okay. Uh, I don't want to give him too much attention. Anybody else have a Peter Schiff thoughts there? I was just going to say, you know, Peter is always playing to his incentives, right? He sells gold and Bitcoin in some people's minds is a competitor to gold. They, you know, you weigh the, the merits of both before you make an investment. And, and so he's playing to his incentives and you, you know, you wouldn't expect anything less. I think with Peter, you see the, the case that is present in other people in the space that uh, I'm sure we're all familiar with where I think his, you know, he, he's got a, a very big ego and he thinks that his voice means it can hold back the tide means anything regarding Bitcoin. I mean, not only is he kind of a Luddite and, you know, you see with the issue with his, uh, you know, his blockchain wallet password and then recently, you know, his issues on, on Rogan and stuff like he's not tech savvy. So for him to be commenting on Bitcoin at all is kind of farcical. But I just think he's a very I, I, I agree. He's you know, he's. he's not a stupid guy. He's insightful. The stuff he says on economics and politics is much that I agree with. But uh, I think he's got such a big ego that he, you know, he thinks that his being critical of Bitcoin means or has any influence whatsoever. And, you know, I don't believe that it does. So it's just the, the ramblings of another uh, person with Bitcoin derangement syndrome. And uh, it's kind of fun to watch and, and tease sometimes. You know, I, I, I mentioned a, a past show that he was going to be on Rogan soon, and then I forgot about it. So he was on two days ago, wasn't he? Did he, yeah. he was on? Did he say it anything about Bitcoin? Did, uh, I, I couldn't listen to it all because – so he apparently he had a, a mic in his ear and only a camera what he was looking at. So he wasn't looking at a screen to see Joe, and apparently – I didn't even know this was a thing, but his mic or his earbuds, his audio only worked – when he wasn't speaking. So when Joe tried to stop him when he was like mid-roll, apparently his audio doesn't work for that. So it was just really like Peter kept talking over Joe, interrupting, not stopping. So I only lasted like, I don't know, 20 minutes and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't stay in, but I don't believe he mentioned Bitcoin. Uh, I, I thought he was going to use it to, yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it, it coincided, I guess, with the, the Twitter, uh, with the Twitter hack, it was all around that time. So if he did say anything about Bitcoin, nobody, uh, nobody has, has mentioned it yet. I'm not going to listen to all three hours. It sounds like he had a, a setup like a, we have here. Pound that like button. No fancy sets of graphics here. You never know what you're going to get. Okay. So uh, if, if Peter could be, maybe Peter will show up here. Okay. Now, uh, speaking about uh, Peter, I, I'll give him this. Uh, all these years, he, he definitely has been talking about inflation. He, he understands he understands scarcity. I mean, he's a gold guy. So let's talk about a celebrity who does not understand scarcity. And this is kind of this is an in, this is an insight into the way I think a lot of normal so-called normies out there and impulsive people think. This is from Alyssa Milano, who has many many followers. Many people love her. Uh, she says, "F this. We are losing this battle." She's talking about the the, the virus and all these. I can't say the word because I don't curse. All these jerks are talking about our kids going back to school. Nope. We need a national shutdown now. Print cash. 
give people UBI until we get this pandemic under control. <laughs> so, and, and she is not, she's not a voice in the wilderness here. There, there are plenty of people uh, who think it's a great idea to shut down the, comp the, the country, uh, the world, so there's no productivity, but just hand out a bunch of fiat. And that will, in, in, that'll be fine. That'll be great. Who knows what the future, what will the future bring? Who knows? But that mentality, that, that's, not a, that's not treating money as something that's scarce. It, it is the complete opposite. That's definitely uh, something Peter Schiff would not, would not uh, tweet out there. But I, I want uh, your take, uh, uh, Federico, I guess. Uh, we'll start with you. This, I don't even know if you know who Alyssa Milano is. <laughs> that, that's not the point. But the, but just this mentality that uh, printing money is going to save is going to save the world here. It seems but like more and more people are moving away from we. I think in our bubble we think, oh, everyone's waking up to Bitcoin now. But look at this. This is the complete opposite. Federico, take it away. Well, I think that this, uh, this provides two insights. One, that uh, there are many people out there that are not willing to take personal responsibility. So there is this uh, risk vector out there, there is the virus, and they are not willing to deal with the risk uh, themselves and assess what, to, to find the right trade-off between security and, uh, and productivity, but they want the government to do that for them. And this already say a lot about how much people are unwilling to take personal responsibility, which is something related to, to Bitcoin as well. And also like uh, with the idea of uh, handling UBI to everyone, it also say that people are not willing to even take collective responsibility because uh, you, you just like uh, close your eyes on the fact that, that, that you're not gonna, if you don't create wealth, that you cannot create wealth out of thin air. You, you have to do something to, to, to feed the people. So they, they just hope that printing money is uh, kind of the solution, which is uh, like uh, completely crazy. But I think this is in a way, if this mentality is really widespread and the Fed start printing money, it's exactly the scenario Bitcoin was created for. So it can kind of accelerate the adoption of Bitcoin. And uh, me as a non-American, I prefer the disruption of the financial infrastructure starting from a, another country so if you start in the us uh, it's better than if you start there in in italy or in europe it's kind of selfish so uh, but if, if the if the, if the fed starts printing a lot because there is political will to do that because a lot of people actually want this uh, i think it can i mean it's, it's obviously going to be very bad for the economy and for the world economy because it's, it's a global economy but uh, it can still, it will finally validate the use case of Bitcoin instead of having to wait maybe for decades to, 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 to see Bitcoin in the scenario it was created for. All right, Brandon, uh, Alyssa Milano, inflationary uh, monetary policy. Uh, do you agree? What do you think about this? <clears throat> so I'm, I'm going to take, take it from a, a very different uh viewpoint and here's here's kind of my thought process is right now we're printing the money anyway we're doing qe we're you know having these crazy stimulus and we're putting the money directly in the pockets of you know uh, the corporations the banks and you know all all the kind of the system that we all really construct. uh i don't think necessarily on space that doing that money printing in the pockets of the everyday person is, is that bad, bad of a strategy, strategy. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong, wrong. I, I think the entire, entire thing, thing in general, general is, is a terrible, terrible 
strategy will ultimately lead to the destruction of the dollar, inflation, you know, uh, the destruction of our economy ultimately will lead to Bitcoin. And so from that perspective, it's like, you know, if this thing's going to accelerate Bitcoin adoption, then, you know, I'm kind of forward as well. So from the two standpoints that I look at it, it's like, one, uh, let's, let's change the paradigm a little bit so that people are being benefited by all this money printing instead of just rampant wealth inequality that we have today. And two, if this speeds up the adoption of Bitcoin and ultimately Bitcoin succeeds because of these crazy destructive uh, inflationary policies, then, uh, you know, I'm kind of like, I'll, I'll stand back and I'll let this happen because ultimately I know it's a, a train wreck that ultimately ends in Bitcoin success. So that's my take. I don't know who uh, the uh, the person is that tweeted it. Uh, Alyssa, Alyssa Milano was famous once. She... Uh... She knew Tony Danza. All these Italian names. We've got Federico here. What's going on? All right. Okay. So, 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 John, um, on the other hand, we have uh, people like Alyssa talking about the inflationary uh, monetary policy. And it seems like uh, the masses, uh, they don't want to, they don't want to think about, but I guess this is what they learn in school. I don't know. The, the, the money printer saves the world. Robert Breedlove had, had an article that you and I were talking about, and I talked about him on a past show. And uh, in, in the article, uh, a well-written article, he was saying uh, that the, the world is waking up to central banks and that such policies are will fail. People will call them out and that Bitcoin will – everyone will wake up to Bitcoin or, or many people will wake up to Bitcoin. So – in that light, uh, I guess discuss uh, Milano's uh, uh, tweet, and you you can uh, combine it into the, the the breed love stuff. Well, first of all, I love how you said she 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 was famous. She knew Tony Danza. <laughs> That's the qualifier for famous. But uh, look, I think I think her mentality and her thinking and her perspective on this is reflective of what it is for many people. And not that you know anyone. Most people understand how the monetary system works. I think they just think that the government is this kind of omnipotent, all-powerful god. And they say, you know, they've heard a lot of big numbers, and they, you know, this people getting bailed out, Wall Street gets this money, and people are just starting to sense, in conjunction with a, you know a generation of people that relied so heavily on the state, that they're saying. What, like, yes, government's got unlimited money, so why don't they fix these problems like that? And they don't really take it to its logical conclusion of what the, you know, what the implications of doing so would be. Um, so, you know, to Brandon's point, yes, she's an accelerationist, and on the one hand, that's good. On the other hand, you know, I think a lot of the conversation today is coalescing around what a transition looks like. And, you know, amongst us, I mean, not amongst the mainstream. Yeah. And, you know... First, if it is going to be a smooth transition, we need to get to a place where at least the people that are at the helm of the old one kind of recognize that things are going off the rails so that they can start the discussion about, well, what would a new, you know, new system look like? And obviously, we seem very far away from that. So unfortunately, I think these sort of accelerationist attitudes will persist, and that'll mean that the problem, the inevitable kind of collapse uh, will be a lot worse. And you know, I think we all agree that it's probably going to be ugly, and we're we're still all trying to figure out how to maneuver that. But um, to the point about uh, Breedlove's article, first of all, wait, could, could I, I can jump in real? Quick? Yes, yes, on yes. that, that point, yeah, yeah. Point. So uh, uh, I agree that this accelerationist kind of standpoint is is uh, 
dangerous from the perspective that it will ultimately lead to a much larger, you know, extreme collapse. Uh, I will counter argue it and say that if we don't have this accelerationist kind of uh, perspective, then the transition takes that much longer. There's more wealth inequality that is caused, caused by the system. Uh, people on the, on the bottom, bottom, you know, 99% suffer that much more under this kind of uh, uh, inflationary regime. Maybe it takes 50 years for that to happen. And, uh, you know, at no point will governments be incentivized to transition to Bitcoin unless there is an absolute and complete collapse. So from that perspective, I almost think that the accelerationist standpoint, uh, maybe, you know, kind of the, the classic uh, increase the damage to end the war early and, and, you know, save lives. So, you know, I just wanted to throw that perspective out there. Yeah, I, I got no issue with that. I think that's well put. All right, you're, right, you're, you're going to mention the breed love thing. Yeah, so first of all, massive fan of Breedlove. Have been loving his writing. Think he's a you know just a phenomenal contribution to uh, to the space. But what we were discussing before we started was you know I think, uh, and I don't I don't I can't remember the degree to which he he tied everything up at the end of his article, saying that people will recognize this kind of economic truth and they will you know they'll be motivated for change. I tend to think that the change is going to be is going to come as a result of economic truth asserting itself, not necessarily but by the majority of people making these decisions, because I just don't think that's indicative throughout history. But I, you know, what we were talking about is two things: one, people's idea of what freedom is, and also people's, I think, in our opinion, maybe fallacious perspective that they have freedom right now. Of course, it's on a spectrum and we could argue that all day, but I think a lot of people think what they have is freedom. And as a result, they're not that motivated to seek whatever lies beyond whatever more freedom means. But the other thing that's, uh, that I think many of us sometimes fail to consider is, look how bad things are now. You know, look how, for how long you know, governments and central banks have been skimming off the top. Look how long productivity has been withheld from people. Look how much their savings have been eroded, their times their time has been stolen, et cetera, et cetera. And the vast majority of people have absolutely no issue and most of them have no awareness of that. And so things, uh, to Brandon's point that he just made, things can persist for a very long time, uh, even if, you know, from a more clear perspective on things, and I would assert that, you know, the perspective of the Bitcoiners is, uh, is clearest among them, uh, things are very bad and there's injustices and, you know, there's a lot of unfairness and the way things operate could be so much better and this could, uh, you know, liberate people more and could be more economic productivity, et cetera, et cetera. Most people don't see or care about that. And so I think things could persist a long time. Like we all think in the light of the last few months where all this money's been printed and, you know, all this monetary inflation has happened. I mean, I just looked at fiat market cap today and over the last year, U.S. dollar M0, I believe, my supply is up 23 and a half percent. You know, so people aren't looking, people look at the CPI and say, oh, 1%, 2%, maybe a little bit more uh, inflation. And like, okay, I'm generally okay with that. But nobody's looking at monetary inflation. Like nobody's even motivated to, to dig a little deeper on that. So, you know, maybe we go through another 10 years where the monetary inflation is 50% a year. Like at what point? does the system collapse, you know, because I think we're just going to see a lot of manifestations of systemic collapse, but manifesting in the various forms of unrest that we've been seeing. 
And it could be the case that as long as it doesn't affect you too badly, as if you hold financial assets, et cetera, et cetera, then you're going to think everything's fine. And you'll just look out your window and think, boy, it's a crazy world out there. And all these things are popping up. And, you know, a lot of people may not connect all the dots to realize why this is happening and what can be done to to turn it around and to, to improve things. So, uh, you know, I think uh, to your point, Adam, and again, I don't know how much Breedlove was suggesting that people are really going to wake up to this. But uh, I think, you know, I think this, it, the slow trickle of people waking up to this and, you know, you got to love that NGU tech of Bitcoin and hopefully we get a bit more of that because that at least kind of brings people in to start, you know, investigating this thing that they're engaging in. And that leads them on a trail to understanding these, these, these things more. But it's a slow trickle. You know, I mean, look, at the Bitcoin community is awesome, but on a relative basis, it's tiny still today. And so, um, you know, I think it's going to be a matter of necessity at some point rather than people, you know, willingly choosing to opt out and, and engage in a different system. And, and that could take a while if the system is able to prop itself up for longer. Do you think that Fed coins will give the United States Federal Reserve the ability to prop itself up for like an incredibly long am amount of time. I, 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 I've been saying for a while because so many people in the space are against uh, central banks. And of course, I, I'm, I'm, and that they're, they're just doomed to fail, but they've got some tricks up their sleeves and they can, they can learn from cryptocurrency. And I think people do like convenience, especially in this day when people are clamoring for UBI checks. Well, if, they, if, if FedCoin uh, markets itself as like, hey, you'll you'll just get it in your account in in two seconds because it's it's FedCoin now. Uh, do 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 you do you really see one day the United and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the United States becoming a or or, or a major a major country out there becoming you know totally Bitcoin that being the system. Uh I do see that in the future, but I'll accept if it's a distant future because I agree that. You know, I, I think we'll see like a bifurcation, you know, there'll be those people that just that stay in the old system and they are subject to the abuses inherent in it. And there'll be those people that extricate themselves from it, whether they do so financially and physically or just financially or, or what have you. But, you know, I think there'll be a kind of slow moving away from the other, whereas in 10 years we might look back and say, or might look across the pond or over in a certain area of the world and be like, you know, those people are still under the very oppressive regime. And then you've got a small but growing group over here that are have carved out, you know, whether it's just in cyberspace, whether it's in the real world financially, et cetera, um, a more uh, free system that they're choosing to engage in and operate in. But I think these innovations like FedCoin, I also think the kind of the extreme liquidity of more and more assets is, is really going to maybe slow down the necessity for sound money as well. For example, like if I can just own a portion of a, a share of Tesla and I can liquidate it into USD and pay for a coffee like within seconds, then the necessity for sound money is diminished because I can go from an income or I can go from an appreciating asset to a medium of exchange very, very quickly only for the purpose of, of, of exchanging or purchasing things. So all that kind of stuff will mix together, I think, to to um, kind of conceal the necessity, importance, and value of sound money in the short term. But I still think that, like ourselves, there will be people trickling in that start to see it, 
And as long as we have our expectations in check, as long as we're not expecting this to happen in the next five, 10 years for this to be this global revolution of liberation, then I think we ourselves will uniquely benefit. And, you know, hopefully other people see that benefit and they'll be attracted by it. But a lot of people will remain blind to it. And I, I think we get two, two different systems, uh, one of extreme oppression and abuse and one of liberation and, and freedom. I got to say, uh, pound that like button for that convenience of liquidity uh, mentioned there. That that will keep people in, in the uh, keep it wanting. People will want to keep things the way they are if they can just turn their Tesla into a coffee really quick. And that's technology. And hey, I, I love living in a world where technology does allow that. Uh, of course, if uh, everybody doesn't work and you just get checks from the government, then we we don't have technological process progress. But anyway, go, Federico, what what's your take on? Uh, will Italy one day uh, become a Bitcoin? Uh, Bitcoin dependent? I mean, uh, will that be the main uh, main uh, monetary uh, device over there? Or uh, how long do you see the euro and, and central banks uh, uh, lasting in your uh, part of the world? Well, uh, I don't think Italy will be one of the first countries to adopt Bitcoin. I think like uh, we can uh, look at country that uh, the, the first country that will adopt Bitcoin, I, I think it will be those that uh, are uh, in trouble with the uh, that with the US basically. So <laughs> countries like Iran or uh, African countries, stuff like that. Because right now we live in a world where there is like on the monetary side, the US dollar is uh, is, is basically the, the absolute leader monopolist. But uh, from a geopolitical point of view, we are uh, moving towards a, a multipolar world. So it's not gonna be like uh, uh, just to have the U US, uh, the, the U.S. as the, the, the only superpower, but we are seeing a new superpowers emerging. Another point, uh, they may not be willing to, to, to keep using the U.S. dollar, which is a, benefit, a direct benefit for the U.S. economy. And at the point, which one is going to be the, the, the currency for international trade, for international settlements? You know, if nobody's willing to compromise for the other, they may be willing to compromise for something that is natural, that is not controlled by anyone. And if Bitcoin, if Bitcoin can become big enough to be an option for those kind of countries, I think at that point uh, it can uh, like accelerate very quickly as soon as uh, governments start to use it for uh, for uh, international payment. And we already kind of see it uh, in um, a uh, uh, sorry. No, no, keep okay. going. <laughs> uh, we already can see it uh, on a small scale with like Iran starting uh, mining bitcoins and uh, like North Korea trying to, to use bitcoin in a way because they, they cannot use US dollars so they're forced to use bitcoin. So I think those are the country from which it will start the adoption on like a government level. And from that, that maybe we, may, we will have Russia and China, etc. And at the very end, Europe and the US. You know, you said in passing there, you said that some countries just might give up on the dollar. Right? I, I, and what do you think about the phenomenon though that we're going through now, these stable coins that it seems to me, I think the stable coin will make the dollar even more powerful. More people will value their wealth in dollars because of these stable coins that some people think are very convenient and people have given use cases for. And uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Stable coins uh, well, talking up the dollar. 
Yeah, the thing about stablecoin, yeah, sure, they're very convenient, but the thing is, why they are convenient? Because they can avoid the regulation and the compliance that traditional uh, payment processor and uh, financial uh, institution have to deal with. So why uh, USDT is better than PayPal? Simply because USDT can do like legal arbitrage and avoid a lot of compliance uh, and be more convenient. But uh, is, this is not going to last forever. I mean, if, if uh, USDT becomes big enough, then the regulator, then it will be worth the effort for the regulator to start the cracking down on it and have more control on, on the, the transaction happening on USDT. And at that point, if a USDT or any other stable coin becomes like a, a KYC coin, it is not different from PayPal or, or, or Facebook coin or whatever centralized payment system you use. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's good to have that as an option until it lasts, but the the very problem that they cannot avoid the forever the problem of uh, all the limitation that compliance brings and so at that point uh, maybe when uh, stablecoin won't be as uh, uh, as good as they are today because of increasing uh, regulatory pressure at that point maybe all of those uh, new stablecoin users will have to move to bitcoin because it will be the only option left all right, let's Brandon. We, we we just talked about a lot here since the last time uh, we we uh, you spoke. Uh, do you have any anything to say about the the future of central banks and everything we've been talking about? Uh, Brandon. Yeah. Uh, can you guys Am I um, coming back? Yeah, wrong, it's, a little, it's been muffled a couple times, but you're all right. Can you guys hear me? It's good. It's fine. You can, you can, I mean, you could turn off your picture. That might help, but uh, it's it's fine. Okay. So, so I'll, I'll try, try to talk slow, and then maybe, maybe my uh, mic will kind of come back. Uh, but so, so basically, I, I see uh, a, lot a lot of things, things kind of get on. on. I'm going to try and keep it really short. short but, but basically, you know, you know I, I see, see us as having to find our economy narrowly uh by this is kind of what i'm hitting on but it's like uh, uh cpi and our stock market and uh, uh kind of we figured out a way to basically measure the economy's success by these very steep metrics and uh we hacked our economy in order to make those metrics go up well, well it's still it's still remains remains broken broken for everyone else and, and, and by doing, doing so, so uh it's, it's having mainstream, mainstream narrative trying to, trying to communicate which is which everything's, everything's fine. fine right right people, people have an inherent ability, ability to understand things are not fine things are not fairness there is unfairness and but and but the mainstream hasn't been able to give them the tools the ability to kind of communicate the unfairness and so in doing so i see this you know these protests uh really coming from uh, our inflationary system, our broken QE, all this kind of like, it's all the same thing in my opinion. All right. Uh, uh, and so when we talk about, I don't know. It got a little, it got a little muffled there at the end. So why are we getting this? Free, we're getting some weird feedback there. What's, what's up with the, everyone's got their uh, earphones on, don't they? I don't know what the, what's up with that. All right. Well, uh, I was going to ask Brandon about the uh, IRS, but I'll ask. Uh, yeah. All right. It's uh, so something's up with the, the mic over there. Play around. We'll go to uh, we'll go to John real quick here. Is there's a story that's uh, what's well, a two part story here. And uh, Coindesk says 
the IRS enlist Coinbase in its latest crypto tracing deal. And of course, earlier, uh, Coinbase sold software to the Secret Service uh, that, that monitors public uh, blockchain information. Uh, your, your take on this, uh, John? I mean, what do you say at this point about Coinbase? I think we should just kind of expect worse practices from them at this point, like both technologically and how they interface and engage with policymakers, regulators, policing uh, bodies. Um, you know, they're clearly just in it for the money, you know, and, and like that's why they list a ton of shit coins. That's why they incentivize people to buy and learn about shit coins. I mean, you go to the front page on their, their landing page on their website, and they have, you know, offers to learn about Omise Go for 150 bucks or some bullshit, like, or sorry, some stuff. But uh, it's, uh, you know, so I, and, and then whatever makes their ability to generate income easier, less friction, working with regulators, acquiescing to anything that the, the government or, or these three-letter organizations want, I think they're going to do. I mean, they, they just simply seem to completely lack or have lost any sense of principle of why they're operating in this space. And uh, I just think they, they could be selling sandwiches. Like all they care about is uh, maximizing revenue and none of the, the ethos that I think many of us feel and much of these are in this space. Uh, I, don't, I, think, I don't think they have any of those. So, um, you know, you I'm not surprised. You mentioned that they're, they're maximizing revenue and they're, that's what a, a, a company does. That's a look in the IPO. Uh, so they, this was last week's news, but I'll ask you about it anyway. Uh, what do you think about the, the IPO that might happen by the end of the year? I, I think that, I think that's good for the space. It brings attention, but what's your take? Yeah, I mean, sure. Like I'm open to that argument, but again, I, I just think it's not surprising. They, they've got a bunch of Silicon Valley investors. They've been growing for a while. Like this is the path they're supposed to take according to, you know, the model and perspectives of everyone that's involved in that company right you you gain traction you grow you grow you, grow, you ipo so everyone can get paid off again you know it's, it doesn't necessarily make them bad that particular thing and you know a, a, a crypto company ipoing maybe it brings more attention to stuff but like i just i don't care about coinbase they're not principled at all and i don't like how they operate and what they stand for so you know Whatever right. they're, gonna, they're gonna just try to make as much money as possible fair play, but I, I I'd rather just ignore them All right, Brandon. Let's see if you're how's your mic now You you you're you're your yeah, thoughts you on, me? yeah, it's it's all it's good uh, your thoughts on coinbase uh, dealing with the IRS and the uh, Secret Service Yeah, so uh, I'm bummed that I didn't get to go through my spiel but really but we'll ignore it now, uh, some other time, but Coinbase, um, uh, you know, my, my gut take is I like, I, I get the argument that anyone can do this. It's public data. It's public information. If we don't do it, someone else will do it. I get that argument. Okay. Where I'm coming from is, uh, you know, we don't know all of the different contracts they have, and we don't know what kind of data sharing there is in the government. So if they're in the one hand, uh, giving the IRS or FinCEN or whatever, all of their KYC AML stuff. And then the Secret Service getting all of their, uh, you know, public blockchain data analytics. Uh, how easy is it for them to then tie together that information and basically have some regulatory body that is literally 
uh, uh, tracking every single financial transaction you do uh, piece by piece. I mean, that's a frightening, that's a terrifying thing. And, you know, it's always a, an argument with privacy of like, well, I don't need privacy because I'm not doing anything illegal. But, but the point is, is that if you don't fight for privacy when it's first being kind of taken away from you, uh, then you will never have it when you need it. Uh, and ultimately, privacy protects the minority. Uh, it's you know it's not here for you when you're all uh, fine and do- uh, dandy and you know going along with the crowds. But as soon as you disagree, as soon as you put your neck out there and you you become a different person, you become a target. That's when you need privacy. And so uh, it's really to protect everyone. And and I think that when you look at Coinbase, you know, just giving this data to the Secret Service, like I don't even know what the Secret Service does from a uh, standpoint of analyzing uh you know bitcoin transactions that seems weird that the secret service of all places would be getting it but the point is is that these kind of tools ultimately erode away at your personal rights uh you know human basic rights and so that's what really bugs me is is that this i I deserve to have financial security and financial privacy and when coinbase just sells that away for one hundred eighty thousand dollars, uh you know that really irks me yeah, there weren't that the deals weren't big money deals. Now you said you didn't get to do your spiel. Uh, you could do your spiel now uh, because I, I you you came in loud and clear. So take it. Okay, okay. So so the, kind of the point that I was trying to make is that uh, you know when you define the economy by these narrow terms like CPI, uh, like the stock market, right? And you're kind of basically everyone's view of how the economy is working is based on those two terms, right? Is there inflation uh, and how's the stock market doing? Well, very quickly, you can start iterating the the economy to basically find a way to make those two numbers go up or those two inflation stay steady and then the stock market go up while completely messing up the the fundamental workings of the economy. And no one has like the the uh, uh, vocabulary to talk about how broken the system is because they were all taught like all these economics, uh, uh, you know, professionals and, and experts were all taught to kind of think in these very narrow terms of what a successful economy looks like. So that's like point one. Point two is that the economy is not working. You know, uh, Andrew Yang kind of had a good point uh, a couple of months back and I'm not a Yang guy, but he, you know, he said we should really be measuring the economy by how healthier people, how happier people, right? We don't do that. And so like we have these numbers going up uh, that everyone's thinking, okay, it's not like it's working, I guess. But uh, people inherently understand when there's unfairness in the system. And so I think the broader uh, context of what's going on with you know the, the protests, the, the Black Lives Matter movement is I understand intuitively that the system is unfair to me. Uh, and I think, you know, I think in some ways they're correct drawing the circle around uh, the color of your skin. In some ways, I think it's, it's much larger than that. Uh, but you know, the idea that there are protests and uh, you know, violent actions being taken and all this kind of stuff is, is I think, uh, proof that the system's not working and it cannot continue like this. It, you know, we are actually at a very dangerous teetering point where you know, all of a sudden the system changes because so many people are recognizing it's unfair to them. Uh, and I think if you look at people my age, uh, and this is like an interesting data uh, statistic, people my age have some of the most favorable views of communism uh, in all of America and in the world, really. I mean, people my age love communism. It's freaky. It's terrifying. Uh, and the reason is, is that they're brought up in a system where uh, 1% of people own all the wealth, uh, where their ability to interact with society, they have to go to college where they're going to be in debt for the rest of their lives. Uh, 
and uh, every single house they want to buy is way hyperinflated because we can't allow houses to go down in price because everyone's retirement is somehow tied to their valuation of their house, right? Even though we have all this tech deflationary technology when it comes to building houses, that house prices should be going down. Uh, we tie our wealth to houses, therefore house prices have to go up. There, so my like my age is completely uh, isolated out of being able to participate in the economy successfully, uh, except for you know a few outliers. So I see this as this is the the ramble cut short, but like I see this as really the beginnings of the the earthquake that shakes the foundations of our economy, and I think that it happens way quicker than you know two decades. I think it happens within the next. Uh, maybe not 2020, maybe 2024, though, I think we see a foundational change in what American politics look like. And it's attacking the same problem from, in my opinion, the absolute wrong angle. Ooh, wow. You're, you're uh, that, that's that's this decade here. We're talking now uh, the you're short term. Well, you're a unique beast. I, I will. I will. I will say that right there. All right, dudes, let's, uh, uh oh, uh, we got to, before we get our conclusionary thoughts in here, because we're getting toward the end of the show, uh, Federico, your thoughts on uh, Coinbase uh, dealing with the governments, if any? Well, I think it's not surprising at all. I mean, every time we deal with a trusted third party, we should assume that they are dealing with the government. So the fact that they are very open about it, uh, at least they, they are, at least their users know. So... Uh, yeah, they are a company, they are maximizing their profit. I don't think they are necessarily doing a good move for the long term. I think other companies in the space uh, will have, will be more profitable in the long term. But yeah, there's it, it's just like you're dealing with third parties, uh, just assume that they take all your, your, your information and sell them to the worst people imagine, you, you can imagine. And, <laughs> And, and, and that's it. So uh, it's good. At, at least they being so open about it, they educate the the, the public and the users uh, about the risks of dealing with uh, trusted third parties. Well, this is the world we live in today. You deal with a trusted third party, just assume they're selling your information to the worst possible people. <laughs> wow, what a, what a land we're in. All right, let's, uh, I, I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, Federico. Do you have any uh, technical uh, news you want to spread? Uh, share about bitcoin and anything because you are a tech guy and everything any anything interesting lightning network anything you want to share uh well yeah like recently there has been some update with the rgb project so yeah, talking some bitcoin for those interested in this kind of stuff in which bit bitphoenix is investing a lot so they are i think they're, they're going to to show usdt on rgb which is compatible with lightning network uh, i think within a few months so the song well, what's, may... what's, what's the name of that again? I didn't catch what you said it, it's called at first. RGB, RGB tokens. So the, this, the, the project for tokenization on Bitcoin, like color coin, basically. Okay. But they should work also on the Latin network. It will work also on the Latin network. And now, like, the, some code has just been released, but it's some basic walleting functionality. So it's not really, like... User-friendly yet, but people are building on it. So that's something like uh, worth uh, uh, putting an eye on because, like, soon we maybe see USDT and other tokens on Latin network for people interested in this kind of stuff. All right. Uh, anything else you want to share? Any Italy stuff? And it's the the floor is yours. Yours. Anything that was left off? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I said enough. Okay, cool. Very cool. Uh, let's thank you for being on, making your big return here. Now uh, we'll go to John next. 
uh, conclusionary thoughts, any stories you wanted to add, what you're doing, talk about your podcast? Uh, not, re not really. I mean, I appreciate you having me on. Um, it's always fun to chat. Um, I'm loving doing the pod, speaking with a lot of different people. And, you know, it, it, I guess what, you know, my thing is that I find regardless of what the price is um, and regardless of what's happening out in the broader world, and, you know, in many cases, it's very crazy. Like my enthusiasm just seems to know no bounds for what's going on with Bitcoin. Like I wake up every day and somehow it's it's increased. So, um, and I know there's a lot of people in the space that um, want to preserve their privacy and, on, and anonymity, and that's totally cool. I respect it and I understand why. But for those people that you know have decided to be public with it, like I'm always just such a big advocate for expressing yourself and in whatever capacity feels right you know whether you write you do videos you do podcasts you make comic books like i don't know like this don't be afraid to uh, to talk about this stuff and to to share this message it, it bitcoin doesn't require it you know it's going to assert its truth at some point anyways but um one it kind of signals who you are and what you're about and draws people um of a similar ilk to you and i think it's just it, it feels good it feels really good to engage in something that you believe so strongly in and that is such a, a force multiplier for good in your own life and in the world. So, you know, let it rip. All right. Pound that like button. All right, Brandon, hopefully uh, you, you, your mic is good here and you can get some good conclusionary remarks in and plug uh, what you're doing over there at Bitcoin Magazine, your show on Thursdays, anything you want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll do a quick, you know, find me at Bitcoin Magazine, follow Bitcoin Magazine, uh, Drinks and Quarantines, a fun show we do that Adam was uh, referring to. We had a great one last night with uh, Nick Carter, Jeff Booth, Preston Pish, Melton Demirers, uh, and, and Brian Estes. It was, it was an awesome conversation. Check it out. Uh, closing thoughts uh, it is actually an interesting thread that I think we're about to hear a lot more about Taproot. Uh, everyone, do some research on Taproot. Taproot is the next big uh, technical improvement in Bitcoin. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of questions around how to implement it safely, how to get consensus around it, how to make sure that we have all the security holes plugged with it. It is the next SegWit conversation. So if you uh, want to learn about what the devs are talking about, want to understand where this thing's going, check out Taproot, start formulating some opinions on it. It'll be the next big thing to talk about. Wow, it's the next seg. I'm writing this down. Segway conversation. I that, that I, I like that line. I'm going to bring that up on my uh, my show on Sunday. All right, dudes. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, remember, here you get in the Bitcoin Meister ecosystem. You get a new show here every day. Follow me on Twitter at Tech Vault. The backup channel is on Saturday nights. That's where we do the Beyond Bitcoin show. All the other shows, all the other days of the week, we're here on the main channel. And uh, it's conviction, people. Hey, goodbye, my elite friends. I didn't say hello, my elite friends, but I know all the elite friends are, are watching this right now. Pound that like button. Uh, and uh, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Spread the word. Have a great, safe weekend. Go out there. Have fun. Live your normal life. There is no new, new normal. Keep on doing your thing. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. Thanks a lot again. See you all later. Bye-bye.